Amen. Well, we are in uh, the month of December, which means we have officially entered the Christmas season. Uh, and for me personally, it's my favorite time of the year. I love the holly jolly uh, Christmas mood. I enjoy uh, Christmas music. Uh, I enjoy Christmas movies. Uh, yes, even uh, the cheesy Hallmark ones. Anybody else love the, the cheesy Hallmark uh, Christmas more than I was anticipating. There we go. Yes, we, we shall have a Hallmark Christmas movie party some night. Uh, and I especially uh, love time with my family. Uh, each year uh, we spend a week in South Carolina and a week in Michigan uh, celebrating Christmas with our family. Uh, it's a reason why uh, in the McLean household uh, we decorate for Christmas uh, near the beginning of November typically as we're gone for about half of the month of December. Anybody else decorate for Christmas around the beginning of November. You guys are just going to throw me under the bus like that. I need Mary here. Mary here, uh, I know she decorates for Christmas early as well. So me and Mary and Jamie, we decorate for Christmas come early uh, November. But now the rest of you guys are in the Christmas sphere, the Christmas mood. You, you guys are late to the game and joining Mary, Jamie, and I. But you guys are here. You have arrived. Um, and, and many people enjoy uh, the Christmas season for many uh, different reasons. The world just seems to be in a better mood come the Christmas season. Uh, stores and restaurants, they will play Christmas music some very early in the season uh, because we associate, uh, in general, people associate Christmas music with having a good time and spending money. And so large corporations who have very smart people running them, uh, they're aware of this fact. And so they're, they're playing Christmas music in, in their stores and restaurants because they knew that they know that for the most part, that gets people in the holly jolly Christmas suit and it gets them to want to spend money. But yet, for some, uh, Christmas uh, time is a solemn uh, remembrance for loss of family, uh, a solemn remembrance of loneliness or heartbreak, uh, you name it. And so this Christmas season, it brings a, a wide uh, range of emotions for people. But the good news for us is no matter what sort of emotions that you have associated with Christmas, whether that be joy and the holly jolly Christmas mood, or if you are reminded uh, of the, the loss of a loved one or whatever it may be, no matter where you sit, uh, it's a time of year that can and should bring us hope. For Christmas, we celebrate the birth of a baby boy who brought hope to the world. He is the promised Messiah, the promised chosen one. And so today, as we enter uh, the Christmas season, as we're into the month of December now, we're starting a new series uh, revolving around the hope that Jesus brings to our lives. As before Jesus was born, God told various people throughout thousands of years that he was going to bring about a very, very special person. The Messiah, which means the chosen one, or, or, or the Christ. The Christ, Messiah, they, they, they both mean the same thing, one Hebrew, one Greek, for uh, the, the, the chosen one. And Jesus is the chosen one. And so for thousands of years, God was telling various peoples that, hey, there, there is a special person coming. And we can read about the, these different promises uh, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, that, that covers uh, a long period of time, the time of Abraham, uh, we, we can reason about two 2000 BC, and we don't really know when the events uh, before Abraham took place. So for about at least 2,000 years, 
People were awaiting uh, the arrival of the chosen one. They were awaiting the arrival of the Messiah, of the Christ. And the birth of the chosen one, it brought forth hope for the world. And so throughout this series, what we're going to be taking a look at different assurances that God gave his people uh, throughout the Old Testament about this coming Messiah, uh, assurances of hope. And we'll see how Jesus fulfills these different assurances of hope. Uh, I kind of got uh, the inspiration uh, behind this series uh, through uh, Central uh, Church. They, they, they did a series similar to this called uh, The Thrill of Hope and, and dealing with uh, the prophecies of the Old Testament and how they come to fruition in, in the birth of the arrival of the Messiah, the chosen one. As people, they love a good story about a chosen one. Popular uh, culture is filled with illustrations of a chosen one who will save people from whatever problem uh, that they may be facing. Perhaps uh, the most well-known example of this in Hollywood is a man uh, by the name of Anakin Skywalker. Anybody familiar with Anakin Skywalker? I'm guessing a handful of us uh, this morning. In the Star Wars uh, film, The Phantom Menace, uh, Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn, one of my favorites, uh, meets a young boy named Anakin Skywalker. And Qui-Gon Jinn, he believes that Anakin is the chosen one who will bring balance to the Force. And through an epic uh, turn of events that includes, spoiler alert, Anakin uh, becoming Darth Vader, uh, he does bring balance to the Force as he helps his son, uh, spoiler alert, uh, defeat Darth Sidious, uh, the antagonist of the series. But before Anakin ever did bring balance to the the Force, he brought forth much hope for people such as Qui-Gon. As we love, people in general, we love to put our hope in a chosen one. And for us, we we don't live in the epic uh, Star Wars universe. Uh, That's a fantasy uh, universe that doesn't exist. But we we have something much, much better than Qui-Gon Jinn. We have the promise of the coming Messiah. We have the promise and the, the fulfillment of the promise of the birth of the Messiah and his first coming. And we have a promise that the Messiah is coming back to earth again. And so without this series where we're going to see how hope here is due to this man, Jesus of Nazareth, fulfilling the role as the promised Messiah. And so we start off uh, this series by taking a look at the first assurance or the first promise or the first uh, prophecy of the Messiah. And and that takes place in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. We see the first assurance of of the coming of a Messiah, the, the coming of a chosen one. And so before this, in chapters 1 and 2, as many of us are familiar with, God created the heavens and the earth, and God created man and woman in his own image. And God granted the man and woman eternal life. They had access to eternal life through the tree of life. And as long as they could partake of the tree of life, they would have access to eternal life. They, they would not experience death. Now, Adam and the woman, uh, who was later named Eve, uh, they really only had one rule as they were placed in the Garden of Eden. And the rule was, don't eat of the fruits of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's where we pick up the story this morning in Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1 reads, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, uh, he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruits of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So here we see uh, that there was a serpent who was causing trouble. The, the serpent is later identified as Satan, the, the devil himself. And the serpent was well aware of what God said, where God said, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He, he was very well aware of that. But the serpent here, the Satan, he takes what God said and he twists it to try and fit his agenda. And the woman, on the other hand, she too was able to identify what God said. She was able to identify that, that she would die if she, would eat, if she were to eat of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the serpent, that she, uh, the serpent, he put this into question and suggests that, hey, you won't die. Instead, your eyes are going to be open and you'll be like God himself. You'll know right from on, you'll know good and evil. This is very, uh, this reminds me a lot uh, of the temptation of Jesus uh, that we can read about in, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Satan uh, was aware of what God said, but he tried to twist the word of God to get Jesus to sin. Well, Jesus rebutted uh, Satan with more scripture, and he withstood the temptation of the devil. Well, that's how Jesus responded. How did the woman respond here? We see how the woman responds in verse six. In verse six of chapter three, it reads, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed food, uh, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so here, this woman, in, in a very uh, similar predicament to, to Jesus, a couple thousand uh, years later, she, she presented the word of God to, to Satan, to the serpent. The serpent kind of twists the word of God. And unfortunately here, the woman uh, later identified as Eve, she succumbs to the temptation and she partakes uh, of the fruits of the knowledge of good and evil. And so she does not pass this temptation with flying colors. And not only do, does she partake of the fruit herself, she then uh, gives some to her husband, Adam, and Adam, he succumbs to this temptation as well, and Adam partakes of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And after they do this, all of a sudden, they realize that they are naked out in the middle of nature, and, and they try to cover themselves up. I, I feel like this is a very common occurrence in dream world. Uh, I have definitely, I've definitely showed up to school with no shirt or no, no pants on uh, before in dream world. Uh, has anyone else been there before? You show up to your work or school, whatever, and, and you're missing your shirt, you're, you're missing your pants, and there is an intense amount of shame as you are around your peers and, and you are exposed to everyone around you. And at least in my dream world, I try and cover it up. I maybe try and go home or, or I go run to the bathroom or cover myself up with, with the rest of my body, say, ah, don't look at me, I'm naked. Uh, it's terrible, is it not? Is it not terrible that understanding that you are naked in front of others? And before Adam and Eve ate of this tree, they had no reason to be put to shame. But now they were aware of their nakedness. And thanks to Dreamworld, I have a pretty good feeling, a vibe of what they must have been feeling at this time when they realized that they were naked in front of one another. 
And then we continue here in, in verse eight and reads, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? I love verse nine, visualizing that as Adam and Eve are in the garden and they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. How awesome that must have been to, to have that fellowship, to have that, that, that community with God himself where they could hear him walking through the garden. And I cannot wait for that to be a fulfillment in my life where I hear the Lord God walking in his coming kingdom. But here, it, it was not a good experience for Adam and Eve. Why? It's because of the shame that they had. They heard the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and, and the woman, they hid themselves from the presence of God because they were ashamed of what they have done. They were ashamed because they were naked. They, they, they knew right from wrong. They, they were aware of good and evil. And uh, Jesus, you know, he took a note uh, from his heavenly father. Jesus, he constantly asked questions uh, to others in which he already knew the answers. He just wanted others uh, to reflect on the question at hand. God knew exactly where Adam and Eve were, even though he asked, where are you? He, he wanted Adam and Eve to, to reflect on, on what they had done as they had committed sin and, and they had shame in their sin. It's not a fun place to be. And so we continue in verse 10 and it reads, and he said, uh, that, that's uh, the Lord God, I heard the sound of you in the garden. This is Adam, excuse me. And I heard the sound of you in, in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so God here, he confronts Adam and Eve. And initially he confronts Adam and he's going, Adam, come on, man, what have you done? And Adam's reply, the woman. <laughs> men, men out there, listen up. If you find yourselves in trouble and you have to explain what you have done, I advise your first two words not to be the woman. Uh, don't put the blame on, on the woman. But Adam here, he blames his sin on the woman. He says, the woman made me eat of the tree. She's the one who gave me the fruits of this tree. And so then God, he, he goes and, and he approaches the woman, Eve, and he says, what have you done? Have you eaten of this tree? And her reply, the serpent, <laughs> the serpent made me do this. The, the, the serpent is the one who deceived me and I ate. My, oh, oh my, isn't that often our first reply when we find ourselves in trouble? We look for anyone to blame the, the, the trouble that we find ourselves in. I mean, this tactic is terrible. Uh, we, we need to take responsibility for our actions. It's, very, it's a very immature and childish uh, reaction. Jamie uh, babysits for a couple of kids, and, and I hear all the time these kids, if they find themselves in trouble, these kids are, are trying to put the blame on the other kids. You parents out there, uh, grandparents, you, you witness this time and time and time and time again uh, of children trying to point the blame onto other people. It's immature. It's a childish uh, response. Um, but but there, there's a danger in doing that and not accepting your own self-responsibility uh, here. 
Uh, some people uh, run into this issue uh, with, the, with the devil as well. Uh, this is an issue uh, that Eve ran into. She wanted to put all of her problems on the devil. Uh, that, that's one issue uh, that, that I see uh, from time to time, people putting all the blame on the devil. No, we have to accept our responsibility in this. The, the, the serpent provided the temptation, but the serpent did not. He did not make Eve partake of the fruits of the tree. The, the, the serpent did not make Adam partake of the fruit of the tree. We must take responsibility for our actions. And so, what are the repercussions? What, what, what are the consequences because Eve and Adam partook of this fruit of the tree? And we see the repercussions in verse 14. It says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so here we see uh, the, the repercussions, the, the consequences of this sin. God curses the serpent, he curses the woman, and, and he curses Adam as well. We're going to touch base uh, on the curse for the, ser the, the serpent in a bit. But to the woman, God said that she would bear great pain in, in giving birth to children because of her sin. And her husband would then rule over her. That, that was the curse for the woman because of the sin that she committed. To Adam, because of the sin that Adam committed, God cursed him and said the ground that he worked will be cursed and his work will be made hard. He will, he'll be sweating because of his hard work and trying to provide for himself and his family. And we'll just close out uh, this chapter real quick before we uh, touch base with the serpent again. And verse 20, it reads, The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so because of the sin that Adam and Eve committed, they have lost access to eternal life. Where previously, they could have had everlasting, perfect fellowship with God himself, where they could hear the Lord God, Yahweh, walking in the cool of the garden. They could have enjoyed that for all of eternity. But because of sin and the immense power and effect of sin in our lives and the lives of Adam and Eve, they lost access to the tree of life. They lost access to eternal life. 
and before too long, they would taste death. And so here we have an issue. No longer will mankind have access to eternal life because they fell to the temptation of the serpent, because they committed sin. And in nearly every story that we, that we come across, there, there, there is a bad guy and there is a problem present. In, in the Star Wars universe, the bad guy is Darth Sidious and the problem is that there is an unbalance to the force. In the story of mankind, the bad guy is Satan. We talked about this last week. The, the enemy in, in church is not the person who disagrees with you. No, not at all. The, the, the common enemy that we have is the serpent here in chapter three, Satan, the devil himself. That, that is our enemy in our life story. And the problem that we have is sin. And the consequences of sin is that we have lost access to eternal life. And just like the Star Wars universe needed a chosen one to save the day, we need a chosen one. We cannot solve this problem on our own. We cannot defeat the bad guy with our own power. We, we cannot overcome this problem of sin on our own. We need a chosen one. We need a Messiah. And fortunately for us, that's exactly what God has provided for us through the arrival of his son, Jesus Christ. In verse 15 of chapter three, in the curse that God provided to Satan, God told Satan the serpent that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, the Messiah, the chosen one, he shall bruise your head, or some translations read strike or crush your head. I especially like crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is known as the Proto-Evangelium, the, the, the first gospel, the, the, the first time that God uh, assured the, the people that there would be a chosen one to come. As God promised Eve that one of her offspring would bruise, strike, or crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus is that offspring. Jesus will have victory over Satan once and for all. Revelation 20 talks about this, how, how Satan himself will be thrown into the gates of hell as Christ will have victory once and for all over the devil himself. As God ha has granted this power and authority to, to Jesus, he's not granted that power and authority to me. He's not granted that power and authority uh, to you to, to have victory once and for all over the bad guy in our lives, over Satan. But God has handed that authority over to Jesus and Jesus will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will be cast into the gates of hell. This is the very first promise of the Messiah in the scriptures, the chosen one, that the chosen one would have victory. He would have victory over the bad guy. And ever since God promised this to Eve, people were awaiting the arrival of the chosen one, the one who would crush the head of the serpent, the bad guy. But you know, that's only half the story. You know, in the story of mankind, we, we have the bad guy, uh, the, the serpent, Satan, the, the devil himself, but we also have a problem in our life. And that problem is sin itself. That, that, that's the main problem that we experience as human beings and we suffer from the consequences of sin in our life. 
But thank goodness, the chosen one has granted and will grant us victory over the main problem in our life as well. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew uh, 121, the words will be uh, behind me. In Matthew 121, uh, the, the angel uh, tells Joseph that she, Mary, will bear a son, and he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus will save us from the main issue, the main problem that we experience as mankind. There is great hope in that as we live in a broken and cursed world. We are all very well aware of that. It is heartbreaking to see the evil things taking place in this world. And alone, without the chosen one, there is no plan of victory. We're powerless over the devil. We're powerless over sin, the forces of sin. But God promised a savior for the broken world that we live in. As humanity, you and I, we fell to sin and we needed to be saved from death, the consequence of sin. And in Genesis 3, we, we, we find the first promise of the coming Messiah. We see that the Messiah is going to have victory. He's going to have victory once and for all. He's going to bruise, strike, or crush the head of the serpent. And we see later on in the story that he will save us from this broken world. He will save us from our sin as well. And so even though that we live in a broken world in the year 2022, hope is here. There's hope. No matter what sort of emotions this Christmas season may bring to you, whether it's joy or sorrow or sadness or, or laughter, whatever it may be, hope is here. We have access to hope, for God has laid out the plan for us to achieve victory once and for all. And how was this made possible? How can, can we attain victory as well? It's through uh, what we celebrate and through what we, re we remember in communion this morning.